Well, welcome back, everyone. This is Zach Fulginetti, your host, and we're here continuing to celebrate 25 years of ministry in Campus Outreach Charlotte by talking to some of the people that have played an integral role in who we are as a ministry, as well as some of our uh, sister ministries. And here with us today is my friend, Pete Ketterman. Pete and I have known each other for Gosh, uh, almost 15 years now, Pete. We've been partnering together at some level in some capacity, and it's been a privilege to work alongside you. So, Pete, glad you could join the podcast today. Thank you. It's uh, my pleasure to be with you here and excited to talk to you. Pete, share a little bit just about your family and uh, who you get to do life with. Yeah, I am married to Sherry. Uh, We've been married, wow, probably about uh, 18 years now. And the Lord's blessed us with three, three kids, three boys, in fact, three great boys that are kind of getting entrenched in their teenage years now, have 15, next one's turning 14 next month, and an 11. So, uh, yeah, just privileged to be able to do life with them and certainly learning a lot from, from each of them. So, Pete, tell us a little bit about what... Uh, what you've been doing with Campus Outreach over these years, and uh, maybe I'd love to start right after that, just how you came to faith and how you got plugged in with with Campus Outreach. So how have you been serving with CO over the years, and then how'd you come to be around the ministry? Yeah, uh, maybe I'll I'll break it into four four pieces here. So my, my first connection with Campus Outreach actually occurred when I was in high school. Uh, in Valdosta, Georgia, just attending a, a small church there in that city that happened to be the church where the campus outreach staff of Valdosta State University and some of their student leaders attended. So even as a high school student, I, this ministry caught my eye and I could see that God was changing lives and there were some people passionate to know the Lord. That really had an impact on me as a high school student. Then went off to college, uh, got involved with the ministry, and then so kind of professionally working with Campus Outreach, had a season of about five years working with Campus Outreach Augusta, um, uh, working on a couple of different campuses over those years. Then the major chunk was in South Africa, which of course we're going to hit on a period that was about 15 years. And then the last three, I've been back in Augusta, but working for Campus Outreach Serve, which is uh, the serving and sending organization for our international teams and even trying to be a, a, a service to our U S regions as well. That's great. So Pete, um, you went to Georgia tech. Is that right? I did. And so that is, tech. that is not in Charlotte. Um, we'll get into kind of the connection and how that came to be, but you served with campus outreach Johannesburg for about 15 years, which is uh, our daughter franchise. And it was a joint, joint team sent out by Charlotte and Augusta, but uh, you and I had the chance to, to work together there. Love for you to share, man, just how did the, the team, like where did the idea of campus outreach in South Africa come from, uh, you know, from Augusta, Georgia and Charlotte, North Carolina, where did that vision come to, to reach South Africa? Yeah. Well, I think the the vision for those places really, uh, it originated, I'm, I'm sure, in, in many separate rooms and many separate campuses over the years, just as really God was working in individuals' lives and kind of opening our eyes to the world, 
and uh, the Great Commission. And specifically, how did South Africa become one of the places we were talking to? Uh, I'm not going to be the best person to ask. I wasn't in on those conversations. Uh, I believe that uh, Joe Naramore may have had an initial connection uh, through his family that had some dealings with South Africa and and obviously Neil Gooch and Mike Heron, and I think even Ken Curry, who was with Campus Outreach Greenville at the time, these guys began talking about it uh, as soon as, as early as 1999, there began to be some cross-cultural project teams, some CCP teams who were sent there and just began to explore possibilities. And I think immediately what was striking from those teams is that they were coming back just with incredible stories of how God was working among the students, even in the short period of time they would be there. They would go for six weeks and they would see, you know, 15 people come to know Christ in just a few weeks of ministry. And you could hear from the the testimonies they were giving, the videos that were coming back, like uh, God was really doing something powerful. And it seemed to be a place that he was really at work some churches that saw the prospect of us coming over and helping. So uh, that's, that's kind of where some of the idea was birthed. And where did your personal burden and vision for being a part of that team come from? How did you get to be a part of the team? Yeah. So um, uh, dating back to even those high school years that I mentioned uh, just missions conferences at, at my small little church had, were the first place that I began to hear about what God was doing around the world and become intrigued, interested in those things. And, but of course that's on the back burner. You, you go to college and being discipled in my faith, learning how to minister to others. But as I graduated and, and began my time with campus outreach staff, I, I think I was, I had my eye out for the right opportunity when the Lord might open a door to serve internationally. And in those days, there really weren't many opportunities with campus outreach to serve overseas. Um, I had a vision for the college campus, wanted to, wanted to continue to grow and develop as a leader within campus outreach. Uh, when I graduated, really Thailand was the only place in the world that campus outreach had an opportunity. Didn't seem like the open door. So I think there were, there were a number of us within campus outreach, Augusta, uh, Sherry and I being some of those, who, who had this desire to um, take some of the, the experiences we had had in the U.S. and just to, to give it a shot on an international campus. What could God do through these same, uh, these same ministry of evangelism and discipleship? So uh, it wasn't that South Africa as a specific place was the driving factor. It was, there was a handful of us looking for an opportunity to serve God overseas. And as we began to hear that there were conversations uh, originating in Charlotte that our director, Mike Karen, was involved in, um, at some point, Mike came to us and, and said, hey, it, there's a very good likelihood that we could be sending a team to South Africa, potentially some folks from CO Augusta joining a, a team from CO Charlotte. And would you be interested in that? So what year did you guys actually land in South Africa? November of 2002 was when we actually got on the plane and uh, 
landed in South Africa. So uh, a lot of that year, 2002, would have been spent. Um, we did some, some trainings together. The team was about two-thirds made up of CO Charlotte staff members and some recent graduates on that team and about one-third of us uh, from Campus Outreach Augusta. So we were, we were spending that year, 2002, getting to know each other uh, as the two regions, even as we were all just together kind of learning about South Africa. Had you been to South Africa before you moved there? I had not. I had led uh, a couple years before uh, a CCP, a cross-cultural project team to Uganda. It's kind of a random one-time deal. And that was really the first thing that put Africa on the map for me, to be honest. I hadn't thought a lot about Africa, really knew virtually nothing about it. But the Lord really impacted me that summer. That was in 2000. And in fact, I would say I came back from that trip with a real burden for East Africa, where you have a lot of Christians and Muslims who are kind of living side by side. And, and that became a very interesting place for me. So to go to Southern Africa and South Africa, where you didn't really have that Muslim population, but a, you know, quote unquote, reached population, uh, I'll, I'll be honest and say that was not an easy uh, decision for me to make to go to South Africa. It felt a little, uh, I wondered if it was more reached uh, and wh why would that be the next place that we went? But uh, yeah. time, time kind of revealed there was a lot of pride and misconception wrapped up in my own uh, feelings about that. And I think the Lord just affirmed from the very first days and weeks we were on campus, like there is an infinite amount of gospel need in this place. And I was incredibly naive to think anything but that. So, so I had not been to South Africa. Sherry had not been to Africa at all. So bigger step for her and a number, a handful of folks on our team had not ever stepped on uh, the continent before they committed a handful of years. So that's what we call walking by faith when you don't even see where you're moving and you just trust the Lord and, and move out. And it's a great thing. So 2002, 2003, the team is being put together. The team is landing in South Africa and starting ministry there. What were some of the unique challenges that you guys faced in those beginning months and years of ministry? Yeah, well, I think there are some immediate challenges that just kind of uh, slap you in the face when you first hit the ground. Uh, you know, it, it was a very urban context in Johannesburg and Pretoria. We, we, our team landed in both cities. Um, portions of the team had ministry in both of those cities and both very urban context. And uh, the crime, high walls around houses, razor wire, electric fence, those things strike you. And so we, we weren't really sure, like, how concerned did we need to be about this? How, how vigilant did our team need to be? And so uh, that was just a big question that we all entered in with. And this is just a handful of years after apartheid ended. Yeah, even I was thinking about that in preparation for our conversation here, and only eight years after apartheid had ended, which when you look back, it's like, oh, that, that's why our parents were a little freaked out about this whole thing, you know? Uh, fortunately, in our youth, we, that, that didn't concern us a whole lot. And I think about... Uh, January 2003, 
So we've been there less than three months or three months, say, when the first freshman class arrive on campus to start the new school year in January. Half of their lives had been lived under the apartheid system. So uh, just incredible to think where they had come from and what their lives had looked like and opportunities they had not had as kids and uh, ways they had been classified by the, the color of their skin and race. And uh, yeah, I, I shudder to think how naive we actually were. Um, did, as we did that pose a unique, campuses. did that pose a unique challenge for you guys as a predominantly white team moving in there? Or was the fact that you guys were Americans and outsiders, foreigners into the land, did that kind of, uh, make things a little easier for you. Yeah, I, I really think it was a it was a strategic time for Americans to be in that situation. Um, we kind of had probably some unique access to all the different cultural groups in South Africa, to white English, white Afrikaans. Um, you know, we had access to them as white Americans. Um, but at the same time, we weren't bringing in all of the cultural baggage of white South Africans as we interacted with, with black African and coloreds. And, and so many times, I mean, and this was for years to come, as we interacted with students, African students, black African students, and got to know them, you know, it just became apparent in many cases, we were the first white person that had really ever taken interest in them and really, uh, uh, delved in deep with them and and on on special occasions where we, where we'd have opportunities to visit them in their homes absolutely you know they'd say my mom's acting very strange right now she's never had a white person in her home before mm. um so um yeah it it was a unique historical time um but uh, as you as you rightly ask i think it was a great time to be there as an American, a little bit non-threatening in some of those situations. So was it, was the ministry easy to start in South Africa, just in terms of uh, meeting people, sharing Christ, access to the campus, or was there, uh, was the soil hard or was it kind of ready for the picking, so to speak? Yeah, I would say as far as the, the spectrum goes, it was weighted heavily towards the easier side. Now there, there's no, there's no part of uh, pioneering ministry that's easy. Uh, there's no such thing as easy just in terms of you still have to, uh, you know, wrestle with God and say, God, we're really about to walk over here to this campus where we know nobody and we are from a different culture. And, you know, we look very different from many of the students here, but we're trusting you to do something for for your namesake. And, but once, once we started engaging people, uh, yeah, we were, we were amazed at the opportunities was dropping in our lap, the openness that we found. Uh, I, 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 just on our campus, which is just one of the three campuses where we started ministry. Um, and which campus were you on? Uh, at the time, it was called... Uh, R-A-U, or RAU, which stand for, stood for Rand Afrikaans University. It was a historically white Afrikaans university. It was in a little bit of transition. In 2005, it, it 
completely flipped and became the University of Johannesburg, now a public institution, um, overwhelmingly black African now, but uh, quite, you know, quite a different story when we first started. Um, but really, I remember just some of the conversation, the, the first just walking up to a random table in the lunchroom, in the cafeteria, and me and another one of our, our teammates, Romario Yancey, we just started awkwardly pushed into a conversation. We're talking to, to these guys and uh, telling them we're from America, just asking them basic questions about their culture. And uh, several of those guys became involved in the ministry and got, uh, you know, deeply involved in engaging with the gospel. One of them uh, is a pastor in Johannesburg at this point. And this is just the first table that we, we walked up to in the cafeteria. I distinctly remember the first kind of social event, the first party we threw at our house. Um, and uh, some of the guys who came, I remember one of the guys uh, who was at the party who said, I I've never seen anything like this. You know, there's a bunch of people, there's guys and girls here. We're listening to music. We're having fun, but there's no alcohol here. We're, you know, we're, it's a, it's a different kind of party. And not long after that, he gave his life to Christ and the Lord just began transforming him and the people around him. Our first night at a, at a, a rugby intramurals game. Okay. We knew nothing of rugby. Yeah. All of it. We're flying by the seat of our pants. We're just, you know, we hear about something, we show up, we, we try to be courageous and, you know, Ask God to help us overcome our fears and uh, just started talking to one guy off to the side. Uh, turned out to be um, South African of Congolese uh, from the Congo. But when that country fell apart, his family fled to South Africa. He'd gone to high school in South Africa. Um, turns out he uh, was from a church background, but, you know, badly needed some some reintroduction to the gospel and some discipleship. And today he serves as the senior pastor of one of the most influential churches in Johannesburg. I mean, there it, it's crazy. It's wild to go back and look and think these, uh, again, how naive we were, how foolish and unprepared really for the task, but the Lord was, was working in advance of our arrival and just by casting casting a few nets, casting out some seed. The Lord did some things that, that are continuing to bear fruit to this day. Now, obviously, there's a whole lot that came behind it and many people involved at multiple levels and tons of supporters got behind us in significant ways. Um, but it, it's a story of God working, really, in spite of, uh, in spite of the people he sent. And so those first few years, if I don't want to speak for you, you were there, but the ministry kind of swelled pretty quickly and it, it grew. And I was, um, I was at the joint winter conference a couple of years ago and, and the speaker there, one of the speakers and some of the staff were telling stories of those early years, filling that little uh, meeting room. And there were two, three times as many people, I think as many as 600 people on the joint winter conference one year in that little room and that's, that's just a few years into your time. So the ministry swelled and eventually you began hiring some of those people, those, those, uh, 
the students that come to faith and the South Africans, and you begin to integrate, integrate an American and a South African team. Talk to us a little bit about the challenges of those cultural dynamics from what was a uh, solely American team when you guys landed to the beginnings of, of it becoming an African team. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're right about how the ministry really exploded early on and um, just two, two numbers I'll throw out like that the summer training camp was kind of our summer project at the end. So obviously big commitment. We're, we're leaving the province. We're going to a different province six, seven hours away. Uh, it was expensive. It was just an unlikely thing for people to come to, to commit for, I think we did it for four weeks. And that first summer after just one year of ministry, we had 60 people from the three universities, which was incredible. And then the next year we had about 160 and, and it was just uh, amazing what, what God was doing and the, the, the quality of these people and the, the sincerity of their faith. And again, there's story after story of how now they're, they're key influential professionals involved in their churches uh, throughout Johannesburg and Pretoria. It's really amazing to, to double click on what God was doing just within the first two years, but kind of as you, as you say, um, it was it was very American driven. You know, all of our staff were American. We talked about contextualization. How do we make the ministry more South Africa? Uh, you know, Neil Gooch had done, or the team leader had done a, a good job of highlighting those issues and trying to alert us to those. But I just think the reality was none of us knew what it meant, and we di- we didn't understand what the implications of that would be, and. Um, and then after, after being there for four years, as you say, we hired our first batch of South African staff. Some of those who had come to faith in the first month of ministry when we first got on the ground and first were uh, engaging. And then now all of a sudden the Lord had raised some of those people on staff and we actually expanded to a fourth campus with those South African staff. And immediately that campus started seeing tremendous fruitfulness, South African led. I think that was a big uh, eye opener for us. Just this fourth campus, South African led, just doing things in different ways, reaching uh, in some ways, reaching more African, if I can say more African or more, some more rural students in some deeper ways. I I specifically remember uh, a conversation with somebody who was really wrestling with the gospel on this new campus. And uh, I was visiting our staff and talking with him and, and his last issue that he was really wrestling with was ancestral worship, this traditional African practice. And how did that mix with Christianity? And as a American Western Christian, I have no experience with that. I, I don't really have, you know, uh, an understanding of where he's coming from, what, what that means in that culture. But for the first time, you know, we, we could send a, another South African who was from a similar background, who had been walking with God for four years. And he began to engage uh, this African freshman over that issue. And he came to faith. It, it just began, began to be clear. Wow. There's a, there's a whole new power now 
when we begin to have South Africans reaching South Africans. Um, and it was, you know, uh, I think uh, embarrassing is, is probably a fair word to say when I think back of how, what some of the things we did as Americans uh, those first four years, how insensitive and just unaware of the culture we were, um, some of the ways unintentionally we, we just mistreated the students and staff, just doing ramrodding things in American way, all the while saying we wanted to contextualize, just not knowing what that meant or how that could possibly express itself. And so uh, that, that was a real eye-opening time where we just saw that we, we were not building, we had not been building in a sustainable way. Um, Is there any humorous or lighthearted examples of the American way conflicting with the African way? Put me on the spot here. The ones I, the ones I remember are not the humorous ones. Yeah. Uh, I'd need some time to think about the funny ones. So that's fair. Funny, funny mixed with tears maybe are the ones I could, I could give you. But I remember, you know, I was on staff at the time and um, I had been slated to lead a cross-cultural project and, and you and others given some just little tips here and there of things that we might think about and, you know, um, Americans would think about that South Africans would never think about. And it was clear even in the mid to late 2000s, you guys had really been making a, a real turn and you became the director of Campus Outreach Johannesburg in 2010. Is that right? Um, maybe 2011, I think. 2011, 2010, yeah. 2011. And really after that point, whether it was um, your initiative or the continued process and evolution of Campus Outreach Johannesburg, the idea of a SLIM movement came in to formulation and conception. Tell us a little bit about what SLIM is and why that was such a, a important philosophy and important... Um, to understand in terms of ministry in South Africa. Yeah, well, some some of these um, some of these concepts we had been talking about for years, but I think at that point there was a crystallization, and uh, credit the South Africans for helping us think about this, and and Jeff Filyoun, who's the now the South African director of Campus Outreach Johannesburg, he he had a big influence on this as well. But the the four letters of the acrostic S L I M. Um, I'll first talk about the L and the M. The L stands for labor building and the M stands for multiplying. So we described the kind of movement we wanted to have as a slim movement. So uh, it just became clear to us that building labors and multiplying those labors uh, was what we had understood from our time in the U.S., that's what we talked about all the time. That's what all of our energy and attention was towards. And so that's what we brought with us to South Africa. And everything we did was toward that end. And if, we, if it just took more money to do that, we were going to go find the money and raise the money and find some American help to do that. And we we're going to you know, push it through. And so that's where we're seeing the swelling of numbers. But then we, we saw that we'd created this thing that just we, we couldn't... Uh, we couldn't carry on. And so that's where the S and the I of SLIM came in, S standing for sustainable. Um, can we not just make a huge splash only that can't carry on, but can we build in such a way 
that South Africans would easily be able to take it over from us and they would be able to um, carry it on for, for year after year for a long, long time. Um, so that was the S. Not only did we want to make laborers and have them multiply, but we had to do it in a sustainable way that fit the culture. And then the I stood for indigenous. Um, we wanted the, the growth that happened to not be not just an American-led movement with lots of South Africans involved, but in, it in fact needed to be um, South African through and through, you know, at every level, level of leadership, um, in terms of its financing, in terms of the, you know, spiritual shepherding that come at every level, we needed it to be a, a, a South African thing. And, you know, those, just like building labors and multiplying kind of goes together, the sustainable and the indigenous piece goes together because um, I often quipped, uh, there's one resource that I that I saw in South Africa that I had never seen in any place in the world. I had never seen it in such abundance uh, in America or other places I had traveled. And that resource was South Africans. Man, they are everywhere in that country. Uh, and it's like, if we could just get those guys really uh, to have a vision and to be lit with a passion for the glory of God and expressing that through evangelism and disciple making on the campus, then that, that fire would burn and burn and burn where Americans, we just came to learn uh, with increased exposure to missions. You know, we, the Lord calls us back to the U S sometimes there's health issues that send us back. Sometimes there's family issues in America that pull us back. Sometimes governments don't reissue visas. So we're just, uh, by nature, we're a, a temporary injection and we really need the Lord to be doing something locally. So that was a, that was a huge transition for us. And, and it came with a recognition that we were probably going to shrink some. Um, we, we couldn't operate at the same magnitude in a sustainable way. Um, but once we got our minds around that, we really saw that uh, for the good and not not just for a disappointment of, oh no, those were the glory days because it's not been easy to reproduce those numbers. Some of those eye popping numbers from the first five years, the depth and quality of what God's doing and the sustainability of which, of which things are being done is highly, highly preferable. So Pete, give us a, a snapshot of what, I know it's been several years since you've been on the ground in South Africa, but give us a snapshot of what the COJ um, team looks like in terms of its slim as a slim movement now. Just to, how how is COJ now a slim movement or, or increasingly moving in that direction? Yeah. Well, one thing that even back to, uh, I think 2011 was was a a clear beginning of this. So we we had partnered with South African churches. Um, from the very beginning of the ministry, but uh, because we had taken a large team to South Africa, uh, we had kind of become self-sufficient in a lot of ways. So we we were attending church, we were serving our churches, but when you got right down to it, uh, I like to say we didn't really need those churches, and the South African churches felt that, and so they didn't bring their best to the table because uh, we we seem to be doing things ourselves. 
And so in 2011, we made a very deliberate decision like, no, we, we're going we're gonna to posture ourselves as best we can to really not just partner with, but, but need the church. And we're going we're gonna to work hard to get them involved in deeper levels of shepherding our staff. And we're not going to have a separate office, just for instance, um, but we're going to put our office in the church and we're, uh, we're going to, we, we're going to ask them to, to supply the internet for us versus we're going to go pay for our own internet. That, that's not sustainable. Like we can, we need the South Africans to help and we're going to start finding uh, more South African support. And those, those things began to happen. And then just as the ministry aged and matured, um, we got to a point where, so if the progression was, it's all American staff. And then it became, we've got American staff, but with some young South African staff on the campus. Then the next iteration was kind of, now we have South African campus directors and sometimes they're supervising American staff. And that was really healthy for that to happen. And we're at a place now where the area directors and the regional director, those are South African, those are South Africans, are you know, our veteran member care coordinator is a South African woman who's, who's got great gifts in that area. So um, in very significant ways, the staff team has become South African and, and, and they've always been quick to say, look, we're not trying to, we're not trying to say Americans can't be here. Um, we just don't want to be vitally dependent on you. Uh, we want to partner together uh, we don't want to be dependent, unhealthily dependent on you. Um, so uh, that's been a, it's been a very meaningful process, but it's, it's an ongoing process. Uh, the transition from me as the director three years ago to a South African accelerated that change and brought on some, some new adjustments. So Jeff, uh, Jeff, as a as a white South African, when we get our first black South African director, there's going to be a whole nother wave of changes uh, of contextualization that happens of indigenization. Um, so uh, it's an ongoing process, but but uh, I'd say hardly recognizable as that first American thing that started uh, back in 2002. So, Pete, this is the Campus Outreach Charlotte 25th Anniversary Podcast. Um, just give us give a picture of how the team in Johannesburg and South Africa and the team in Charlotte have partnered together over the course of these last almost 20 years now. Yeah. No, that, that's been essential. That, that's been critical to everything that happened in South Africa. It was, I'm, I'm telling the story from what was happening on the ground, but there, there are people connections and spiritual connections and training connections and financial connect. All of that was, was uh, a, just a critical piece of the whole story. And so, I mean, as you talk about staffing again, two thirds of the team, that initial team to South Africa launched out, there were probably at least 14 CO Charlotte alumni who, who launched out perhaps a few more than that. And then there was uh, some who came in the subsequent years, um, the cross-cultural project teams, um, because as we 
discussed, it was fertile soil for the gospel. Uh, I can't tell you how many of the key leaders and staff people in the movement in South Africa, you know, when they're sharing their testimony, they refer back to a student who came from America for six weeks. And I, I never cease to be amazed. I'm like, I didn't know that person had a huge part to play in your story. That, that's, that's amazing. Um, so on the people side, that, that was big. I think you, you know, Zach, you've been over and done some training with our teams. Uh, others have, you know, I, I think of, you know, Phil Thomas coming over and leading a CCP and just what that does for our staff, just to be able to engage with him and talk with him and our, our staff and students love hearing what's going on in the U S um, and hearing how your ministries are doing and just feeling like they're not out there on their own, but they're part of a global network. Um, Christ Covenant obviously has played a huge part in the, the health of the ministry and um, board involvement and, you know, um, giving us guidance, helping us through the most difficult times. Like all those have been uh, essential. Uh, I, I don't know any specific detail, but uh, I have no doubt that there's there's dozens and dozens and dozens of people who support the staff who have gone and have supported the National Staff Fund to, you know, help get our South African staff funded. So it's been an ongoing thing, even most recently that James and Kelly Broadaway, who were, you know, a key senior member of your staff that that moved over and stepped in to fill a critical need of, of kind of resource and logistics help in South Africa. And that's been huge and even helps us as we think about expansion throughout South Africa in the years ahead. So, you know, Pete, I'm no missiologist, but you and I have talked over the years because we, we had at least several years where we overlapped as directors, you in South Africa, me here in Charlotte. And that just has always been a very unique relationship globally where we all have friendships and partnerships, but the Charlotte director and the Johannesburg director have always kind of been tied to the hip. And so we got to partner and we had to partner, but we would have conversations a lot about how uh, needed each other are in this great work of the great commission where your team and and you were regularly quick to say, we we need you all. We need the work that's going on in Charlotte. We need the support. We need the prayer. We need the stability and um, the servicing that you guys had. But more than anything, it's just a beautiful picture of partnership over the years between the Charlotte team and the Johannesburg team, not only in continuing to send um, CCPs, but that partnership. And Jeff and I, I think we we still try to embody that today. And, and Lord willing, we're seeking to do that. But it's just been a great picture and I think a great model for what uh, really global missions, but but campus outreach missions and international works and domestic yeah. works can look like. And, and I think, you know, for those that have uh, been around a long time, you know, there, there was some sense, I think, in the past of like independence. The independence of a ministry was kind of a sign of its health and its maturity. Um, and even when I I talk about building a slim movement or an indigenous movement in South Africa, the thought of, man, we, we birthed that thing, we got it up and going, and now it's off on its own. That's just not uh, what that team is looking for. None of our international teams, they all, they all have the question, are we, yeah, we, we want to, we want more 
opportunity and authority in our own country. But don't leave us out here alone. You know, we want to be connected. We want to do this. And I, yeah, I certainly remember as Jeff was taking over as the, the South African director there that I was affirming how important that connection to CO Charlotte and uh, to USAC was going to be. Um, and that that's that's the measure of health now, that, that interdependence of, Amen. you know, not limping. We don't want to just limp along depending on somebody else, but uh, even as the Lord's blessing, we, we know we need each other and we need each person and each part to add their strengths to the whole. So. And you know, it's, it's a healthy partnership and a true partnership where it's not one-sided. It's not the South African side is totally dependent upon the Charlotte side. I receive immense blessings, immense joys, immense aid in my ministry from what is happening in South Africa, not only in sending people, but receiving the blessing of being a part of it. When Jeff and I talk, when Tim and I talk and, and are a part of there, that we get to play a part even though I've only been over to South Africa a handful of times, spoken a couple of times, but I get to play an incredible role in what God's doing throughout the continent of Africa now, as we see God expanding the work of campus outreach. Um, and so that's just a, such a measure of health and partnership that it's not just one side pulling and needing, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And I can't think of, at least at least in my context of missions, uh, you know, not always easy, as, as you and I know, Pete, but it's just we step back 20, 25 years later and say, wow, what a great partnership. And we are both better because of it. And and I, I praise God for that. And I'm, I'm thankful Amen. for that. Amen. Um, Pete, in our last remaining minutes, I want to turn the page a little bit to what you're doing now. I remember you telling me at one point um, that you were in South Africa and you heard of a team of laborers being sent almost directly over your head to another part of Africa, Kenya. And you just had the question of, hey, we need laborers here. And, and that was really some of the original, um, the birthing of what was CO Stint, now CO Serve and CO Lead. And now you're contributing to that. You're helping those laborers in the U.S. and other places be sent around the world. Tell us a little bit about what specifically you're doing with Campus Outreach Serve and, and Campus Outreach Lead. Yeah, well, I think uh, if, you know, I mentioned back in late 90s, you know, when I was graduating college and thinking about overseas, there was no Campus Outreach overseas except Thailand. And and that's that's begun to change a lot, but even specifically in the last few years, um, it seems like God has turned the page to a whole new chapter where you actually have uh, churches in, in other parts of the world that their networks are, they're, they're learning of campus outreach through their networks. They're hearing about a, a ministry that's very evangelistic and discipleship oriented, but wants to do that through the local church and in conjunction with the local church. And so, there just became this time that, that kind of appeared out of nowhere where we're getting requests from churches around the world to say, hey, we see what's going on with that ministry in the U.S. or that ministry in this neighboring country. What, who do we need to talk to to have that happen here in our city? And it, it's, a, it's a common refrain as we talk to these pastors. They're like, we've got 50,000 students 
just a few blocks from our church, or there's 100,000 students in our city, all the ministries we know about together have about 20 to 30 students coming. Like, we need help. We don't know what we're doing. And so as, as those cries begin to kind of uh, raise up, and then specifically what's been surprising to me, it specifically comes with we're looking for, for you guys. I'm saying, no, you, you never heard of us. You're confusing us with another ministry. And they're like, no, we, and then they start telling us about specific people or specific ministry. I'm like, oh, wow, this is strange. You actually uh, are asking for us. And at the same time, being overseas, you, you mentioned that feeling of seeing the few missionaries that we were sending, the few reinforcements flying over our head and not, not landing in the right spot where we, when we were in a time of real need. Um, there were, I believe there was a five-year period where campus outreach, of course, we sent out people to other ministries and, and that's, that's wonderful, but to our existing teams on the field, I think there was a five-year period where, oh, I forget the statistic. It was somewhere between one and six missionaries over a five-year period, which was just as we're on more and more campuses and have more and more staff. So we're at a place now where we're on a hundred campuses in the U.S. and over, you know, 600 plus laborers come off those campuses every year. And uh, it just became clear that if we had a clear pathway, if we had a defined opportunity we get more of those students who have a world vision. They have a burden for the Great Commission. Um, they'd be willing to give a couple years of their life and actually want to. If we could somehow connect those people to the opportunities our existing teams have, or could we use those people to help us get to these new cities where pastors are inviting us in very specifically, then there's just an opportunity to, to see God multiplying the, the work that we're doing around the world. So. Sorry, that was a painfully long answer. Uh, what what am I doing these days? Uh, I've been asked to to give time to interacting with those pastors and churches and kind of doing some investigation out there, kind of vetting the invitations that we're having, and then kind of bringing that back to the U.S., trying to find regions that are willing to partner with those churches and find people with lead or or U.S. staff people who are willing to go. Um, and so just this year that we just wrapped up, those that graduated in May 2020, we've got about 40 lead staff, 40 new commitments. So people who just graduated and are committing to go for two years. And we had seven uh, USCO staff, which we talk about, we call that CO next. Sorry, drowning in terms here. But we've had seven either individuals or couples who have US staff experience who are saying, you know, We'd love to serve the Lord overseas, either on an existing team or to open up a new place. So, um, we're 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 on the threshold of uh, some real overseas expansion of what the Lord's doing, and you know, not to build the name of campus outreach, but we just want to see more college students reach with the gospel and discipled as laborers, Christ-centered leaders. And so, what are some of the places, the new locations that campus outreach has maybe recently? Um, begun or hopes to begin? And what, what are some of those places out there? You know, what are some of the, where are some of those invitations that if a student is maybe listening to this, maybe now, or even a couple months down the road, they, they would know of some of those opportunities internationally. 
Yeah. So we've just, uh, we've, we've been dabbling in Monterey. We've just kind of got our first full team that's committed there, Monterey, Mexico. Uh, in the next couple of months, we're hoping to break ground in London. Uh, we've, we've got a team that's, that's committed for Athens that we're hoping uh, early 2021 we'll get on the ground there. Um, there's when we talk about next year, the next year, those who graduate May 2021, uh, the Lord is really using this lead program to help us, our existing locations, expand to some of their neighboring cities that we haven't got to before. So there's a handful of those for next year. We're looking at Bangkok, Thailand, expanding out of the, the current locations in Thailand. We're looking at Cape Town, South Africa, uh, expanding out of the Johannesburg ministry. Uh, we're we're looking at uh, a couple of cities in Australia. Uh, one, I, I usually say this one just because it's just a fun city to say, Toowoomba. We could be going to Toowoomba, Australia. Uh, Palmerston North, New Zealand. We're looking at Lima, Peru. Um, we're, you know, we, we're in conversations with Hamburg, Germany and Tokyo. And um, there's, there's, lots of, there's lots of stuff. Uh, you'd be amazed at the the frequency that emails come through from pastors saying, "Hey, look, can we talk?" Dublin, Ireland, uh, Accra, Ghana, Nairobi, Kenya. I mean, we're we're talking to lots of folks and looking for the right opportunity. And we need we need laborers. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are. That's few. what I was going to say. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are truly few. Pete, thanks so much for having um, just given the time to, to be here. And I'm glad you could join us. It's been fun to reminisce, to reflect upon all that God's done um, in South Africa and now throughout the world. So thanks for joining us. You're welcome. If I can end, I'll just say a verse that we talked about a whole lot. And I know you guys were talking about it in CO Charlotte back then, but when we went to South Africa, it was uh, Romans 11, 36. From him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And he's certainly at the heart of this story, everything, everything I talked about, it, it was uh, from, to, and, and through him. So Amen. glad to be with you. And Pete, real quick, where can people find out more information about CO Lead? Uh, following us on the internet at uh, is where you can get some regular updates. If you just want to pray for what God's doing around the world in campus outreach, that's a great spot to do it. And then also just on the web, colead.org uh, to get a little more information about places and in, in that lead program. Well, Pete, thanks for joining us. Uh, I actually, next week, I'm recording three different podcasts with, with friends of the ministry. So we'll have several more uh, episodes coming up. But Pete, thanks so much for joining us. All right, Zach, my pleasure. Thank All you. right. Thanks, guys.